You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. We once spent a New Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. That's right. Welcome into another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, and I am joined by the stars of the show, Mike Farrell and Adam Gorney. I'm just getting things started here, and then I'm going to let these guys talk because it's the Godfather and Gorney uh, podcast, not not the Dave Barry podcast. But I've got some work to do. We are. I was in uh, Atlanta uh, shooting video at the Rivals Camp Series presented by Adidas there in Atlanta. We had rainy weather, but still had a lot of good talent and uh, and a good camp. So, guys, I'll let you get into it. Um, I know you know Oklahoma's been killing it in recruiting lately. We've got a lot of lot to talk about. So, Farrell, I'll let you start with with the latest news uh, recruiting wise. Yeah, we might as well start there. Two five-star wide receivers committing within, what, a few minutes of each other. Uh, last week, our, you know, obviously these are recommitments. So you have to assume with recommitments that they're going to stick, um, you know, more so than anything else. So Theo Weiss and R.J. Henderson both committing. Um I did a little research as far as five-star wide receivers in the same class, and it doesn't bode well for both being superstars, so we're going to have to see what happens there. Uh, But 2010, it happened with Marky Ambles and Kyle Prater. Ambles obviously never really made it, uh, and Kyle Prater was a disappointment. Uh, Florida State did it in 2014 with Travis Rudolph and Ermon Lane. Travis Rudolph had a very solid career. Ermon Lane, not so much. And then it just happened last signing period with uh, Darion Kendrick and Justin Ross for Clemson. So now Oklahoma's in rare company. And, and I got a little information on the number of five-star wide receivers historically as well. But uh, when I saw Henderson, I knew Weiss was coming. Uh, big, big weekend for Oklahoma overall and uh, added a few other commitments, including a 2020 running back. Yeah, huge weekend, and it, it'll be interesting. Weiss is, and, and Henderson are recommitments, like you said. Henderson had been previously committed to Oregon as well, but it seems like now that they're going to be locked in and not looking around all that much. And then you can't forget Trajan Bridges in this class either. I really liked him at the Dallas camp from the video that I saw. So three outstanding wide receivers, all kids from Texas that decided to go to Oklahoma. So that's you know misses for Texas and A&M and the other schools. That had been recruiting them, and it'll be interesting to see if this affects Jaden Hazelwood at all. He had he was at Oklahoma. He called it his dream school. He's got family in the area. He's committed to Georgia, and it looks like he's going to stick with them. But would he want to play with two other five-star wide receivers, or is he looking to kind of do his own thing? And and does this dissuade him from joining this class? I think he's you know like everybody else, he's interested in that offense, but. He's a, he's a Georgia kid. I mean, getting him away from Georgia would be difficult, and uh, that's a little bit greedy. Three five-stars <laughs> wide receivers would be a little bit crazy. But they also added uh, Jamal Morris, uh, Derek Green. They, they added a few other key positional needs as well in this class. Um, and then, you know, obviously the 2020 commitment out of Florida, Jalen Knighton. Um, so Oklahoma went from... I don't know where they were 
in our team rankings. They, Fourth they, or fifth, I think. Yeah, they moved up, up <coughs> into that range. They were way behind, uh, you know, like seven, eight. Not way behind, but you know, certainly not in the in the territory of number one. Right now, they're number one in the country for 2019. And you know, a lot of kids in this class think that they can have the top recruiting class. I think with the home state disadvantage mm-hmm. they have, obviously, not a lot of talent in the state of Oklahoma. It'll be difficult for them to do that. But if they can kill Texas. Um, and we've talked about the, you know, the, the Jimbo at Texas A&M. Are they going to get a boost in recruiting? And they're number seven right now. And Tom Herman at Texas. And they're 21 with only four commitments right now. So, you know, their, their average star <laughs> ranking is very good. Uh, it's going to come down to who wins the most battles there. And I think it's going to be kind of a wash. I think. Texas will get theirs, Oklahoma will get theirs, A&M will get theirs. I think they'll all finish probably in the top 15, maybe all three in the top 10. Um, and then you're going to see some some interesting Big 12 battles between Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, it's interesting because Texas started really hot last year, finished really well, had I think five of the top six kids or the top six kids in the entire state committed to them for the first time, I think in like five or six years. It was a very long time. I don't have the exact numbers. I probably should before I do this, but uh, <clears throat> they did really, really well. And now, you know, two of the, the top two kids in the state are committed to Oklahoma. A&M's doing okay there. You know, o- Oklahoma has three of the top 12 kids in the state. So, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley's going in there and, and really, really doing well, especially on the offensive side. And this is something we're going to talk about later in the week and take two, Mike, is does this mean Oklahoma can win a national championship? Is this... You know that they've never had problems scoring points. That's not the that's not been the issue. Do they have to focus more and get some defensive five stars there? Chris Steele, five star cornerback, was on campus this week. I think Oklahoma is going to be a player for him. I'd be surprised if he ends up there. But <clears throat> um, can they win a national championship by recruiting five star wide receivers? Definitely an important step. But do they need better defense? Yeah, and it's not just the recruiting because they've recruited some valuable athletes. <clears throat> Both of us are dying. I know. A yeah, slow death this? here. Um, <laughs> you know, they've recruited some very good athletes. It's just the coaching. You know, mm-hmm. they got to coach them up, and it's hard in the, the Big 12 to put up good defensive stats, and they hung their hat last year on the fact that they could, you know, hang with anybody out of conference and, you know, that they did well in, in their bowl game. Um, but, you know, when it came down to it, you know, in the playoff, they – they needed to score more to win. That was pretty obvious, and they weren't able to do that. So I think it comes down to recruiting these defensive players, um, you know, like Jamal Morris, but coaching them up as well. And there's a lot of people who wonder about that side of the ball and the coaching staff there. So we'll see. Uh, But they weren't the only ones. I mean, Clemson got quite a few talented kids added to their class. Uh, Ohio State added. Another player, Virginia Tech, got a good kid from uh, New Jersey, and Nike Hawkins. Florida State loading up with Jaleel McCree, uh, McCray and uh, Dante Lucas, who I like a lot as a just an absolute road grader. Um, and then Maurice Goolsby, probably the most intriguing of the group, a six foot five wide receiver, Kelvin Benjamin, part two. Um, you know, so it was a big week for commitments, and not just 2019. We're starting to see a lot of 2020s go. Um, you know, by the time this is put out, 
Uh, Drew Pine, the quarterback from from Connecticut, should have committed. A lot of people think it's going to be Notre Dame. Um, you look at some of the 2020s, Keyshawn Green, uh, outside linebacker, commits to Florida State. I mentioned Jalen Knighton committing to Oklahoma. Um, you're starting to see a lot of the 2020s go, and we knew it was going to, you know, the dam was going to break, and we'd start seeing a ton of these commitments. It, it broke over a week ago, um, but this week I think was even busier, and a lot of these will stick, some of these will not. Uh, but a lot of these are very, very key commitments, you know, especially when you're talking about six foot five freak wide receivers, you know, going to the Florida State offense, which looked pretty, pretty fun in their spring game. Yeah, and Frank Ladson committed to Clemson, so he could be the next big time wide receiver there. Uh, what I noticed then when I was at the Adidas National Championships two, two weekends ago, uh, there's a lot of 2020 quarterbacks talking about making commitments before their junior seasons. So it seems like they're not waiting any longer. They've taken visits. You know, Jack Miller is a kid from Arizona who's been being recruited since his seventh, seventh grade year. So by now they know where they want to go. They're taking visits and getting things done really, really early. Uh, and we know how that goes sometimes. Uh, and I'm not saying about Jack Miller. I'm just saying about anybody. Uh, you know, you, you take a lot of visits you make a decision early, then coaching staff change, and then you back off of that commitment. And it seemed, at least in recent years, if a quarterback committed early, you, you were almost guaranteed for him not to go to that school. There were a lot of quarterback switches. Um, and so we'll see if they stick, a lot of these 2020 kids. There's so much time. It's two more years before they're, they're even signing on National Signing Day. So we'll see how that goes. But huge weekend for commitments and like – Kind of we predicted it looks like it's picking up now and it's going to stay pretty busy. Yeah, and so, you know, we're, we're going to have to keep an eye on some of these guys. And, and, again, some of them will be placeholder commitments. So we'll start to see those come through. Um, and, you know, with the official visits, we thought that was what slowed it up. With the official visits also, you know, gearing up in the spring, you can take all five if you want to and, and just be done with the process in the spring if you if you feel that way. Um, or you can wait until the season or after the season. I think there's going to be a lot of activity around that early signing period. We saw a lot this past early signing period, which was the first one ever. A lot of decommitments, a lot of kids getting processed. Um, it looks like Drew Pine just committed to Notre Dame, so uh, that was as expected. Um, I think there's going to be even more. You know, I think there's going to be a lot more kids processed. And by process, we mean, you know, new coaching staffs come in or old coaching staffs just sort of sour on a guy. He doesn't have a great senior year. Um, and then you, you sort of move on from him. Um, and then kids obviously making their own choices. They can do it a lot easier than schools can with decommitments. So uh, I think it's going to make for a busy early signing period. But it was a busy weekend in spring games as well. Um did you see Callen LeBourne? That was my favorite quote ever. I'm not going to repeat the quote. <laughs> he um, hit that hole. Yeah, that was pretty funny, actually. And, it was. Uh, you know, that's how kids talk. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Television, uh, they didn't apologize and they didn't do the whole politically correct. We're back and apologize for the language and all that other stuff. But uh, Which was good because, yeah. you know, it's a raw moment and it. It's just a kid sort of celebrating. If you didn't see it, just Google Callan LeBourne 
spring game, spring game, <laughs> touchdown celebration, or you know, touchdown interview, or or whatever. Um, so, Florida State. One of the one of the things that intrigued me out of the weekend, the up tempo offense looked really good, um, and I think it's going to be fun to watch Florida State offensively, especially if they get the the offensive linemen that I think they need. Now, they don't need guys in this new system to hold their blocks for too long. You know, um, they need athletic guys who can get their splits and, and, and you know, get out in space and do some things, um, you know, and hitting moving targets and things like that. If they can get those guys, because the offensive line was so bad last year uh, that they couldn't move the ball. If they can get guys that can block uh, with guys like LeBourne and Cam Akers, I think you're going to see Florida State right back in the mix for the ACC title as early as this year if that offense holds up. As early as this year? As early as this season. I mean, we know Clemson's going to win it. We right. assume that. But I think they'll be in the mix. What did they go, 4-8 and eight last year or something horrible? Yep. They're not going to go 4-8. and eight. I mean, there's a lot of talent on that roster. Everybody gave up on Jimbo. Jimbo gave up on them. You could just sort of tell there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of energy. Um, I think this is a, a nine-win football team. I don't think they're better than Clemson right now, and we'll get to Clemson's quarterback competition in a second, but I think they're going to be a much more competitive football team in the ACC next year. And, uh, you know, not. I think they're going to be similar to what they've been the last couple of years, a team that Clemson has to get by uh, in order for them to – you know, run the table and and, and make the playoff. Um, they weren't that team last year. Nobody was really worried that Clemson was going to stumble against Florida State. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see. The offensive line needs to be fixed, and I don't put much credence into spring games. I mean, you can show what you want to show, and I'm sure not everything is being shown or whatever, but they do have the running backs. I mean, you, you have Jacquez Patrick, don't forget about him, and then Kalen LeBourne and Cam Akers. So, Finding ways to get them the ball creatively is going to be important, especially, you know, Clemson's going to come with a defensive front, maybe one of the best in college football, if not the best. And, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to win some games, but, you know, Miami is not going to be a pushover, and then obviously Clemson is going to have a defensive line that's waiting to eat these guys up. So LeBourne definitely was the surprise of the day. He had 140 yards and two touchdowns. He had the quote of the century of spring games. Uh, Cam Akers didn't really put up great numbers, 12 carries for 16 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, that might be a little bit concerning in terms of where the offensive line was. Uh, but we'll see. DeAndre Francois <clears throat> obviously didn't play. And then uh, we'll see how the passing game goes when, uh, you know, real games start. So uh, I'm not crowning Florida State being back in contention yet. We'll see how it goes. Clemson, I think, is so so far better, and we saw that in the spring game. Uh that, that they're going to be in the running for another national championship, especially if they find ways to get Trevor Lawrence on the field. Yeah, he looked good. Um, obviously, everybody loves, you know, the, the prodigy and the superstar quarterback, and, you know, the backup quarterback is the most popular player on the football team and all that other good stuff. And Kelly Bryant didn't look that great, and, and Dabo heading into the spring said, um, you know, Kelly Bryant's our number one guy. Heading out of the spring, he said, well, it's a little closer now. You know, he, yeah. he didn't really take take the number one spot away from him, but he also didn't emphatically say this is a done deal and this race is over. Hunter Johnson is in there. 
Chase Bryce looked good. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence, I think, is the guy that everybody's keeping their eye on. He just is a special talent. Uh, it wouldn't be a shock to me at all to see him uh, take that starting job. Maybe not from day one, but uh, at some point during the season. And, and maybe we see a, a you know, an Eason Fromm thing here. Maybe Bryant gets hurt early and they, they're pressed in to put the freshman in there. Or, uh, the, the thing about Clemson is they're not forced to do that. I and mean, they've got such an embarrassment of riches at quarterback. It's ridiculous. That's why they're going to be competitors for the ACC <laughs> and for, you know, the playoff for years to come. That's only one position, I know. But when you're stacked as they are at that position, and we all know how stacked they are at the defensive line, stacked they are at wide receiver, other particular positions, um, you're going to be – you're going to be in contention all the time. So I'm not saying Florida State's going to give Clemson a run. I think they'll give them a tougher time, but Clemson's still the team. I just don't know if Kelly Bryant is the leader of that offense. Yeah, and it's going to be a delicate balance for how Dabo handles that. I thought Kirby Smart did a great job uh, transitioning Eason out of there and putting Fromm in and having that work. We'll see how he handles it with Fromm and now Fields because – Justin Field seems like a guy that's going to get some work, uh, <clears throat> you know, under center, and and he's also too talented to s- just be sitting on the sidelines. So it'll be interesting to see how Dabo, Dabo handles that. If Kelly Bryant looks average, I mean, they're playing Furman in the season opener, then they go to Texas A&M. So I think that second week is going to be very interesting to see how this works. If Kelly Bryant is struggling, does Trevor Lawrence come in the game, and does that does that mean Trevor Lawrence is now the starter if he does well? Or does he stick with Kelly Bryant and give Trevor Lawrence, a, who knows, a redshirt year, or a year where he doesn't play all that much? Um, we'll see. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, two of the first three games are Furman and Georgia Southern. So Dabo has some time to figure it out. But I think that September 8th game at Texas A&M is going to be very interesting to see <clears throat> if Bryant is the starter or if he isn't, if he is in the game. Uh, if he's struggling, does he does he have a quick pull to go to Trevor Lawrence and get him in the game and see how he does? It'll be interesting to see how he handles it. And we'll get to Texas A&M in a minute. Felipe Franks uh, ran for two touchdowns, threw for another one. Looked like a different quarterback. Again, it is the spring. And like you said, I mean, you can show what you want. If you want your offense to look great, you change the, the rules and make you know scoring a priority. If you want your defense to look good, you... I guess do what Oklahoma did. I think they finished 3-3 at the end of regulation in their spring game. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can you can flip the narrative any way you want. But um, Felipe Franks looked good. I mean, Dan Mullen is a quarterback guru. He's a guy who works well with, with uh, quarterbacks. And I'm wondering if this is going to be it, if this is, you know, like, the light switch is going to go on. He ran for, I think, a 60-yard touchdown and then another touchdown as well. Um, and like I said, he threw one, of course, with the arm strength of his. Um, so he's not in real jeopardy, I don't think, of losing that job. I mean, Kyle Trask is there and Emory Jones is a freshman, but uh, I think Franks would be the guy. And he looked good to me in the spring game. If he, yeah, if Dan Mullen figures out a way to get Felipe Franks to kind of throttle it back a little bit, I saw Felipe Franks throw the ball, I think it was 78 yards at the Clarkson 
quarterback camp two years ago, two, three years ago, I'd lose track. And uh, everybody was just amazed at his arm strength. But then, you know, throwing to a target is not uh, not his strength. So if Dan Mullen can figure out a way to kind of throttle him back and have better accuracy, uh, you know, he's done it, obviously, with Nick Fitzgerald and Dak Prescott and Tim Tebow and a long list of quarterbacks. It'll be very impressive to see. Now, will that Florida offense be clicking on all cylinders? We saw it last year. It looked horrendously bad. I mean, so we'll see what they can do. Um, uh, but it would be amazing to see Dan Mullen work with Felipe Franks. I don't think he's going to lose his job. I, uh, you know, we've kind of we kind of cooled on Emory Jones a little bit as his high school career kept going, and I think he'll be good in Dan Mullen's offense. But I don't know if he's ready from day one. So it looks like Frank's his job, and uh, they'll try to figure it out to see if he could have any kind of accuracy in that offense. Well, the thing Jones has is he's more of a natural runner, and, and you know, obviously in certain schemes that Dan Mullen runs, you have to have a mobile quarterback. So that's why I thought it was good to see Frank's run well. Now, again, yeah. you're not allowed to hit the quarterback or kill the quarterback or, you know, whatever the spring game rules that each school puts out there. So... Um, there are certain instances where he probably could have been lit up, uh, but uh, you know his mobility is there. It's not his strength. It is Emory Jones, one of Emory Jones' strengths. So, so we'll see. But again, you know the Florida quarterback battle is one to watch. Uh, it's always intriguing to keep an eye on it because we know they have talent elsewhere. Um, and again, that that offense is the problem. The defense is not. So they'll be strong defensively if they can get a quarterback to lead them. And maybe this is a you know turning point for him. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Buckeyes quarterback decision, Urban Meyer playing it close to the vest, as always. Now, the assumption is Dwayne Haskins is the guy, but Joe Burrow had a good game. Uh, and your guy, Tate Martell, ran for a ton of yards. That's what he does. He's just hard to... He's hard to contain when he's doing his thing and freelancing outside of the pocket. Yeah, he's... I've always been intrigued by him because we know he's short, but he's incredibly competitive. Uh, I don't know if he's the next Baker Mayfield, but he certainly has that competitive edge and that personality, that attitude, let's call it, uh, where he's not going to lose. So, you know, I thought him going to Ohio State was really good because I thought, knowing Urban Meyer a little bit, uh, he has that, you know, that kind of, let's say, personality that Urban likes out of his players. Now, he might have a little bit too much of it for his own good sometimes. Um, but I think Tate Martell is going to find a way on the field. He's too talented to stay off of it. Um, and, and he is athletic, so he can come in in certain packages if that's the way it works, or he can win the starting job. Uh, he just needs to you know remain patient. And there had been some rumors that he was going to maybe look around early on in his career, and I think those have certainly died down. Uh, I think he's at Ohio State, and I think I think long-term it's going to work out for him. Did you hear, speaking of Baker Mayfield, did you hear Ryan Leaf, what he said? No. So Ryan Leaf, obviously, huge bust, complete yeah. emotional wreck of a football player back in the day. Uh, he was uh, taken number two overall, and... He, this was 100 years ago. I think it was 1998 uh, where he was taken two overall. He said when he when he closes his eyes and listens to Baker Mayfield do these interviews where he's you know got a list of people who have offended him and all this other stuff <laughs> and the chip on his shoulder, he said it reminds him of a young Ryan Leaf 
And uh, oh yeah, Ryan Leaf has apparently done a lot of work on himself and is not the jerk he used to be, but it doesn't matter because nobody cares about him anymore because he's not a quarterback. Um, but I think he's a coach now. And he said, you know, if I were a, if I were a program, an NFL uh, program or NFL team franchise, I would be buyer beware of uh, Baker Mayfield because he reminds him a lot of himself. So that's that's great. So Baker Mayfield now has Johnny Manziel comparisons because of the size <laughs> and the size and the off-field stuff, and now he's got Ryan Lee comparisons. So stuff like that, I'd be interesting to see how it affects the draft. And we'll get to Texas A&M. We can segue in there because Johnny Football was at the spring game for their record crowd there. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if stuff like that impacts scouts at all. Um, do, do you agree with Ryan Leaf? Do you think Baker Mayfield is, is going to be trouble? I don't know. I didn't think Ryan Leaf was going to be trouble. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't think you know until you get there. What Ryan Leaf said also over and over again is that in college you're not losing a billion games. So when you're losing games, you go to the NFL and you're drafted high and you're on a horrible team and you start losing and losing and losing and losing and you get the same questions over and over again. And a lot of the focus of the losing is the quarterback that if you're not emotionally mature, if you're not ready for that, if you have that chip on your shoulder, um, you're not going to be able to handle it well. And he said that's what went wrong with him is that, you know, he snapped at the reporters. We've all seen the famous, you know, video in the locker room and all that other stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Baker Mayfield, maybe he goes to a team that's not horrible. You know, maybe he goes to the Broncos. Not you always said you, you know, would own a Cadillac someday. winning Super Bowls anymore, but they're certainly not the Browns. But you got to wonder, if he goes to the Jets or the Browns, can he hold it together? Um, yeah. If Ryan Leaf is saying he reminds him a lot of him. Those two teams are going to win, you know, like one or two football games next season. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. He's obviously has had reactionary moments on the sideline that – haven't been appealing to NFL teams, but it doesn't seem like they're going to stop from drafting him. Uh, he's incredibly talented and competitive. Um, yeah, and, and he's going to go to a team that either he has to sit behind Eli Manning or he can compete for the starting job early on if the Browns decide to take him. I can't imagine. I don't see that happening, but, you know, anything can happen with the Browns. Who knows? Um, or if he goes to Denver... And, you know, they're not going to exactly win a ton of games next year either, I don't think. So uh, he's going to have to deal with something probably that he's never dealt with before. And that's being patient or standing on a sideline and learning from somebody. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works. I don't know if he's going to do it or not. He's, he's done a lot of dumb, stupid things when he was at Oklahoma. We've documented those, you know, ad nauseum about him. But, uh, you know... Can he go into an NFL tra franchise and lose? He's not used to losing, that's for sure. He's not someone who seems like he's even open to the idea of it possibly happening. He's had a good few months. I thought he was very good at the Senior Bowl. It seemed like teams are falling in love with him, but we don't know. No one knows who you know who he's going to be or what he's going to do when he gets to a team and they're struggling and he feels he should be the starter and he's not the starter and all the, all kind of things that can happen. So we just have to see. I don't know if he's the next Ryan Lee for Johnny Manziel. Uh, or if he's the next Russell Wilson. So we'll uh, we'll see in, in due time. That's what makes this so interesting. Yeah, these guys are 
you know, Josh Allen's the aw shucks, small town, small school kid. Sam Darnold is kind of the nerd. You know, he's a big, big city, big school kid, but very nerdy, you know. Um, <laughs> and then you've got Baker Mayfield, who's get the chip on his shoulder and grabbing his crotch on the sidelines and, you know, running for the cops. And, and, yeah. and then Josh Rosen, who I think did an interview, which I didn't get a chance to read, but apparently talking about he's the greatest gift to the world since sliced bread. Sliced you know? bread. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's the best in the draft. There's no doubt about it. It's not even close. You know, the old Josh Rosen that we sort of met coming up in the process, the one who, as the story goes, was I think sort of telling David Shaw how to diagram plays at his own summer camp or Something to, along those lines, which led to Stanford not offering Josh Rosen because yeah. David Shaw was like, "I'm not dealing with this." This uh, yeah, he this he, he basically was like, he was basically like, "I will go to Stanford if you offer me. I I want to go to Stanford. Stanford's my dream school." And they're like, "No, you're too much of a headache. We'd rather not take yeah. you." I know, and everybody else begging the kid to, to come to their school, and Stanford's like, "No, you're you're going to be a problem, and uh, would rather not have you." And it'd be interesting to see how he would have done there. You know, I mean, yeah. him and McCaffrey, that would have been fun, but never going to happen. So, and it's because he turns people off. So, you know, I think the aw shucks guys, you know, the 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 nerdy Sam Darnold and the aw shucks Josh Allen are are winning the race. I think they're going to be. Uh, possibly one two. I'm not sure which goes one and which goes two. If the Giants decide to go quarterback, um, and then and then it's going to be the wild cards. You know, um, it could be Denver. Uh, you know, for Mayfield or Rosen, and the New York Jets for Mayfield or Rosen. So um, it's going to be fun. That's all I know. But yeah, I had to mention that and. Johnny Football was at this spring game for Texas A&M. They had nearly 50,000 fans, the biggest crowd they've ever had. He's kind of the guy that just won't leave high school, you know, like he graduates high school and um, (laughs) just sort of keeps hanging around and going to the high school parties and stuff like that. And and I say that jokingly because he's been critical of you and me uh, recently. (laughs) But... um, you know, he was at their pro day, now he's at their spring game. I mean, you know, he's just, I guess he's just looking for something to do. But uh, but I was happy to see Kellen Mond not be horrendously inaccurate because you know that I'm the guy who, who would push for Kellen Mond to be a five-star and sort of had the final decision on making him a five-star. And I, I don't root for kids to do well or do poorly based on that. Um, I certainly do root for kids to do well if they're highly ranked you know that's something we want because that makes us look good but i would say overall and i just stepped away from the microphone because i'll explain to you in a second um i got a new dog and uh oh did you yeah and you know the dog has been Pretty much just lying around all day, sort of at my side. And the second I try to do the podcast, the dog is like up in my grill, like wants to play, starts chewing on crap that it shouldn't be chewing on. It's probably going to go to the bathroom any second. And, uh, you know, 
it's like all day, all morning it's been calm, and now suddenly I put a microphone up and it's like, whoa, what are you doing that's so interesting? So, Mon looked good. What kind good. of dog is it, Mike? It's a mix. It's a mix between a uh, something mountain something. It's a re- it's a rescue dog. So, Did you get it from uh, the North Shore Animal Shelter? No, I didn't. Howard Stern's place. No, I didn't. I got it from a local person who fosters dogs. Uh, Spring Mountain Valley Dog and Pitbull combination. Oh, so Pitbull, big tough guy. It looks like a boxer, kind of without the boxer face. So, anyways, it's a it's, it's a mutt. Well, it was given the name Rocco before we got it, so we're not going to change the name because it's a year old. It's not a puppy, but mm-hmm. it might as well be because it's not house trained. I'll tell you that much. I've learned that no. the last two days, uh, and it gets into everything, and it has more energy than I know what to do with. And of course, today is our second day with the dog. We picked up the dog yesterday. Today is the worst torrential drown downpour in Broadbrook I've seen in, I don't know, maybe two, three years. So the storm that hit Minnesota and gave them all that snow um, gave us all this rain. So it's raining from the moment we woke up this morning. It's going to rain till tomorrow morning. Uh, and it is just pouring rain. So when I bring the dog out, the dog's like, no, I'm not going out here. What are you, crazy? I'll take my bathroom break in the dining room. So everything's under a flood warning, Mike. You better get off this podcast. And Everything's going wrong is what's happening is everything's going wrong. (laughs) So so I, I was just watching the dog chew on something, and I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing that the dog's supposed to be chewing on right now. So I had to get up and get away from the microphone. I know, I know this is all very exciting to people, but uh, but Nick Starkle and Kellen Mons uh, are in, you know, sort of a, uh, a battle for the starting job. Starkle is a guy everybody thinks is going to win it because he's just a more accurate passer. Uh, but in Jimbo's offense, which is going to be a little less wide open than Sumlin, it's going to utilize a little bit more tight ends, a little bit more running, um, you know, perhaps – a little bit more pro style stuff, obviously. Um, maybe it'll be a closer battle, and maybe Mond will actually get some development because he looked good early in the season last year, yeah. uh, and then really started to look absolutely horrible. Um, I can't remember which game it was. Maybe Mississippi State, where he just looked awful. Uh, couldn't complete any pass. Didn't matter who was open or what. But against Alabama. I'm like, he's hanging in there. He's, like, doing his thing, and this is Alabama. I mean, this kid's going to be a star. And then he started to just stink horribly after that. So he did not have a great end of his season. Uh, But the spring game, there's a lot of excitement in Aggieland, let's put it that way. Fans are excited about the Jimbo era. Well, yeah, and it looks like he has kind of a fresh start there. And, like, we've talked about numerous times that he just kind of didn't give two craps about Florida State last year and mailed it in and and it showed and he was out of there but uh you know Clemson comes to town September 8th so I think all that excitement after they beat Northwestern State 70 to nothing uh gets tampered down a little bit because I think Clemson's going to be phenomenal uh and then they have Alabama on September 22nd so 
we're probably looking at a two and two football team heading into late September here, and we'll see how thrilled people are and what they kind of show because obviously Jimbo can coach and we'll see if he can recruit. It looks like there's a lot of kids from the Houston area that are looking at A&M and I think A&M is the team that might be able to clean up in the state this year and Texas is going to struggle a little bit in terms, you know, struggle with quotes around it. I think Oklahoma has already done well and and is doing phenomenally well in the state. I think Texas A&M with Kenyon Green, Jalen Curry, Eric Young, those are all Houston area kids, and I think that's going to help Texas A&M a lot. So Texas has a little bit of an uphill climb uh, with getting kids there. But we'll see if Jimbo can close on those kids and then getting things done on the field. Um, you know, the SEC isn't going anywhere, and we'll see how good uh, Texas A&M is. They have, they have the SEC schedule, and then they put Clemson on the on the schedule. That's that's brutal. Sleeping giant, though. That's Remember. There are certain They've always been are, the sleeping giants. I know, giant. there's perennial sleeping giants. <laughs> Still uh, sleeping. Georgia has been a sleeping giant forever. They woke up last year. I've heard North Carolina over and over again is a sleeping giant football, and I'm like, okay. North Carolina? Oh, God. People down there, like, sleeping giants. Sleep, I mean, that, they can't say that phrase enough. Because we've got the academics, we've got the facilities, and I'm thinking to myself, well, academically... You were under investigation. Your facilities <laughs> right. aren't that great compared to some, you know, SEC or other ACC schools you're recruiting against. And, you know, it is a basketball school still. I don't care. People get so upset when you say that, when you say, like, Louisville's a basketball school or Kentucky's a basketball school or North Carolina's a basketball school. They get very, very upset. Um, and I don't understand why they just can't embrace it and say, listen, that's the way it is. That's the way it's always going to be. Um, yep. You know, until you start winning multiple national championships in football. And last I checked, Kentucky and Louisville and North Carolina haven't done that. So um, until you start doing that, you're not going to be considered a football program of power. Uh, and that's why people keep stealing recruits out of your backyard. So anyhow, enough of that. But sleeping giant, Texas A&M, uh, not this year. But eventually they're going to win the West. That's an easy prediction. I can say eventually they're going to win the West. <laughs> it could be 30 years from now. It could be five years from now. It could be two years from now. I don't know. Uh, but I think they got an upgrade in coaching. Uh, he's a very, very good coach. I know Florida State fans can't stand him. Uh, they just, even though he won a national championship there, they're so upset about the way he left and the way he gave up on him and how he wanted out and it was his choice and how dare he. Um Regardless, I think he's one of the top six or seven coaches in college football, without a doubt. You could put him possibly in the top five. Um, well, and you have to consider fans are crazy people sometimes because, like, they they believe these coaches are only in love with their school and have to show loyalty to their school forever, or they're terrible people. Um, they look at these as jobs, and if they get a better situation, just like you or I would. If anybody wants to hire us, <laughs> it's a better situation. Uh, we would certainly look at it like anybody would in their profession. This is their profession and their livelihood. And, you know, loyalty only goes so far with these people. It's not like, you know, Jimbo Fisher dreamed of staying at Florida State for his entire career and not doing anything else ever. Um, but fans never will see that or understand. They never will. And so we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, I think we went, what, 
39 minutes. That's pretty good. And the reason for that is I'm going to try to take my dog out and see if I can avoid having an accident <laughs> in the house. Dave Barry, are you listening to us still? Oh, I've been listening the whole time. It's been, right, that was yeah. a solid, solid 39 minutes. Yeah, you know what? This one's a little shorter, so maybe it's more consumable for people. Um, so let's end this and so I can go back to my nightmare of trying to get my dog to go outside in the rain. <laughs> All right, let's, have, let's just uh, remind everybody, like we always do real quick, of our Twitter handles. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at RivalsMike, at Adam Gorney, and at Real Dave Barry. We will see you all again next week.